This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon. He's Andrew Glukov. It's the two of us with you tonight on a day when... Drew, why does this always happen? Why is it... uh, What is it about this sport of college football that we follow? That right when you think, oh, it's going to be an easy day. We're going to have just a few little things to talk about. Maybe catch up on some things that have happened in the news. All of a sudden, something just drops... An asteroid drops out of the sky on everybody in the world of college football. And then we all have to talk about it for the next week now. Uh, Well, I mean, college football logic, you know, it's kind of an oxymoron. See, I last night couldn't sleep and I watched the movie Greenland where a comet comes down and blows the earth up basically. Well, guess what? That happened. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like college football is like, you know, that, that, uh, that uh, animated gif of uh, CM Punk, and he's like, pay attention to me. I mean, that's that's college football all the time. <laughs> uh, the story we're talking about is the uh, rep- a report in the Houston Chronicle that dropped this afternoon. We're recording this on Wednesday, July 21st, um, about Texas and Oklahoma now flirting with joining the SEC. Uh, we'll have the details for you on that in a second. But we're going to talk about that, how it might affect UCF, if it might affect UCF at all. I don't know. Spoiler alert, I have my doubts. Anyway, um, Bryce and Turner will join us later to talk about UCF in the Olympics. The uh, uh, Tokyo uh, Olympics are getting started with the opening ceremony on Friday. Uh, and seven UC, uh, uh, former UCF Knights uh, are going to be competing in Tokyo in either the Olympics or the Paralympics. We'll be talking about that and also some moves on the baseball diamond. Colton Gordon joins us on the show for an interview with Eric Lopez and Bryson and Bryson to talk about um, him getting drafted by the um, Houston Astros and his time at UCF and his path now to the major leagues as he um, recovers from Tommy John surgery. Uh, and then later on, we will have listener questions. Drew and I will answer those listener questions for you from Twitter on a heck of a day to answer them. But all right, let's get let's get to it, shall we? All right. Let's start the circus. Uh it dropped earlier this afternoon. We thought that, you know, when the whole 12 team playoff thing happened, Drew, we were all like, you know what? Realignment might be a thing of the past, right? And <clears throat> off the top rope come Texas and Oklahoma. Uh by God, it's Texas. Is, is that Oklahoma's music? Uh the Houston Chronicle breaks the news that Texas and Oklahoma could leave the Big 12 to join the Southeastern Conference and that a possible expansion could come, quote, within a couple of weeks, end quote. Um, the apparent, Now, according to 247 Sports, who tried to advance the story, now everyone's jumping on board trying to get their own angle on it. Oklahoma and Texas began exploring Big 12, uh, a departure from the Big 12 months ago. Uh, there have been, they've been, you know, flirting, sending some, you know, sliding into the DMs with the, uh, 
with the SEC for a couple months now. Um, of course, we're in the middle of SEC media days. Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, was asked about it. He said, I'm here to talk about the 2021 season. So basically deflected that. There have been um, no, there have been a bunch of non-denial denials, as we call them in the journalism business, from um, from just about everyone. Pretty much the only forceful uh, replies came from the Texas A&M camp. By the way, this broke while Texas A&M was going through their SEC media days with Jimbo Fisher and Epic all that. trolling. Surprise, surprise. Um, the, uh, you know, they've been kicking the tires on this thing for the last few months, reportedly. Um, a spokesman for Texas said, quote, speculation swirls around college athletics. We will not address rumors or speculation, end quote. An Oklahoma spokesman said, quote, the college athletics landscape is shifting constantly. We don't address every anonymous rumor, end quote. Non-denial denials. Oh, that, that, um, that's like bad non-denial. Yeah, that's like, yeah, <laughs> it's... That's like <laughs> they're stitching the the SEC patch onto their plaid jackets. As <laughs> nothing as to see here. Please nothing disperse. to see here. Um, but anyway, it's as you could imagine, this sent Twitter into an absolute tizzy. I mean, it was um, it was absolutely wild. Um, A&M had the only forceful reply. Um, Ross Bjork. The athletic director for Texas A&M said, quote, we want to be the only SEC team from the state of Texas, end quote. There's a reason why Texas A&M left the Big 12 um, to stand alone and have our own identity. That's our feeling. I'll give you a hint. Well, it then. was Texas. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> what he's really saying is there's a reason why Texas A&M left the Big 12 and it's Texas. Uh, the uh, well, so here's let's, so let's dumb it, it down real quick. Okay. What he's trying to say is, oh, hell no. No, hell no. Not on my watch. Um, now, let's remember. Texas and Oklahoma have a grant of rights that goes through 2025 with their TV contract with the Big 12, which, by the way, is, uh, is a deal with both ESPN and Fox. In order for the SEC to add a team, 11 of the 14 schools must vote yay. That's greater than 75%. We already know one nay. We already know one nay. <laughs> exactly. Probably a second and, one. And can you guess how many other teams in the SEC used to be conference mates of Texas in the Southwestern Conference? Well, we got Arkansas in the Southwest or the and Big Missouri 12? in the Big 12. Yes, exactly. So there's probably three nays right there. Okay. Um, wow. Wow. Margin of error, zero. All right. Now, now, a couple of other things we need to talk about in terms of context. Um, SEC ADs have not formally discussed anything as of Wednesday afternoon. Um, by the way, the SEC just did sign that massive television agreement with ESPN where they bumped CBS out of the way. Remember that? Um, starting in 2024. Um, no scheduling has been discussed beyond 2025. Uh, the, uh, let's see what, uh, what other, info? okay. So the TV, con so remember the TV contract ends up at 2025 and remember two months ago, Drew, uh, ESPN and Fox were approached by the big 12. Big 12 was like, Hey, what do you think about renegotiating our TV contract a little bit early? And ESPN and Fox said no, which apparently ticked off both Texas and Oklahoma. Cause remember the Big 12 is basically, even though they won't admit it, the Big 12 is basically a wholly owned subsidiary of the University of Texas and the University of Oklahoma. 
Um, there are four years left in that 13, or initially 13-year agreement with ESPN, Fox, and the Big 12. Um, don't forget, and, don't forget, if they renegotiated that contract and started mm-hmm. a new one, that grant of rights goes away. Or it gets re-upped. And, the and Texas wasn't going to re-up it. Yeah. So this is where we are. What's going to happen now in the next couple of weeks? We have no idea, but Texas and Oklahoma have just grabbed the news cycle by the throat um, with this. Let me ask you, Drew, starting off. Riddle me this. Is bat, there man. a fire to this smoke? Well, I this is about 10 years too late for starters. Uh, this, this is ha- we've seen we've heard this song before. You know, when Texas, Oklahoma, and a bunch of others were flirting with the Pac-12. Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, yep. Yeah, all of them, uh, Colorado, they were all looking at going to the Pac, uh, then Pac-10 to make the Pac-16. It failed. What was the primary reason why it failed? The Longhorn Network. So until the Longhorn Network goes away or is agreed to go away, Texas isn't going anywhere because it's a non-starter that any conference is going to take it. They have their own network, you know, their own conference network. And the last thing they want is, you know, product that they can benefit from being taken away from because a new member is monopolizing a current network. Now, what makes it interesting, and you and I talked about this off air before we started, is ESPN, who owns the Longhorn Network, has to really want it to go away because it's been a financial boondoggle, yeah. just an albatross on ESPN's bottom line. It's, They've it's, lost it's a all fortune. it is, is. All it is is a transfer of wealth from ESPN to yeah. Texas. They've lost a fortune on this. So unrolling and 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 deleting the Longhorn Network would probably be worth half as much of of any financial boon that would happen to the SEC as a result of membership change. So uh, I could see ESPN being on board with this. You always want your TV partners to be on board with any move. Well, gosh, here we are. Here we go again. I can't (laughs) believe it. Brett McMurphy said on Twitter, Texas and OU inquired with the SEC about leaving the Big 12, and the SEC has interest in both schools, sources told Stadium. Quote, this will take some time, but there is interest on both sides, end quote, source said. Of course, why wouldn't there be? Um, added the Big 12 source, quote, this was inevitable, end quote. SEC bylaws require 11 to 14 schools to extend an invite. Um, this was inevitable. This was bound to happen. But but the question is, but the question is how, okay, if it was inevitable, in what context? Okay. Is 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 Texas are Texas and Oklahoma really serious about leaving the Big Twelve and joining the SEC, leaving leaving a conference that they already have unfettered control over for being yet another dog in the pit? Or are they just trolling ESPN and or Fox to renegotiate this con to to step back to the negotiating table? on this TV contract. I think it's a bit of both. Uh, you know, we already know, we've already seen how they flirted at leaving the big 12 once before. It's not a stable conference. It really hasn't been ever since, you know, Nebraska left, you know, things just kind of have always been kind of a tense 
uh, a tense piece. And that grant of rights is the only thing that's been holding it together. It's been the glue in that conference. And now, you know, negotiating windows should be opening up very soon for a 2025 renewal. And that's now why that's why you're starting to see things fall apart. Uh, th this was inevitable. They they tried it with the PAC, you know, the, the Pacific uh, Conference. And it's never going to work. It, it was a bad it was a bad marriage to begin with um, too many differing views. But uh, I, I have a feeling that you, if they move over to the SEC, they're going to have buyer's remorse. I don't think they really know what they're getting into. Uh, you know, they're not going to be the, the big dog. You know, yeah. Look what happened in Nebraska when they moved to the Big Ten. They went from being, you know, one of the big cheeses to being some second you know, rate. It, it was always the Big Twelve, the classic Big Twelve. There were three. There were three big schools: Texas, Oklahoma, Nebraska. You could say Kansas for basketball, but it was a Texas, Oklahoma, Nebraska joint. Right. Right. And now Nebraska is just, in fact. They're just that an ran. That, that relationship between the Big Ten and Nebraska is permanently damaged. And I don't know what's going to happen next with that thing. I mean, this if these two dominoes fall, God knows what's going to happen. But um, the, the, the thing that I am, you know, initially I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And then we talked about it. Eric Lopez made some calls. Um. He is firmly in the camp, and he's done the legwork on this. Credit to him. Eric and I argue all the time, okay? Like an old married couple. But when he's right, he's right, okay? And Eric has said that there's no way this thing is going to happen. Those four schools, and, and he said that LSU would be the fourth vote to know because, in, because according to him, LSU recruits the heck out of Texas in all sports. Um. They're not. They're they're not going to. That they're not going to. They're going to say no, and then that'll pretty much be that. Um, there have been some. There's been some discussion about you know. The state of Oklahoma has whether or not they've passed legislation that states that if Oklahoma leaves the Big Twelve, Oklahoma State must go with them wherever they go. Um, however, that has roundly been um, said to be not true. Um, I'm not 100% sure. I haven't checked the Oklahoma State Legislature register in a while. Um, what? That, you I think don't that do the, that on a regular basis? No, no, not at all. I don't know why anyone would. Um, the, the main issue, I think, is Texas and Oklahoma are not going to add the they're, – they're not going to add the value to the SEC that – the other schools I think would want based on the expenses that they would incur for blowing up the Longhorn network for, uh, for, for the amount of money that ESPN would, would have to shell out to the SEC in order to make that all happen. Not to mention the legal bills, because this, this would probably result in a lawsuit. Um, I, I just, I just don't see it. it it's, it, it, it was a lot easier for Mizzou and uh, and A&M to pull this off when they did. But Texas and Oklahoma, I just don't see it. I, I just I just do not see it. 
I mean, this comes down to, you know, a, a money grab, especially for Oklahoma. You know, they, they stand to benefit more than Texas does. You know, mm-hmm. Texas already gets a huge chunk of cheese from ESPN for the Longhorn Network. Oklahoma, you know, their third tier stuff is with uh, Fox Sports uh, in that area or Bally Sports, whatever Bally they want to call themselves now, yeah. now. It's still so weird. Uh, you know, as a, as like a re- for regional sports, as opposed to a conference network. So they're, they, they've got room to grow because, you know, they still got a good payout, but they would get a better payout in the SEC. But other than that, I don't see really a benefit here. You know, they're, everyone's like, well, you know, the CFP, CFP. CFP is not everything. Uh, there, there's more to it. You know, there's other sports, there's culture, there's, there's this and that. Uh, so th- there's obviously more pieces in play and there's more reasons that they're looking to move, but th- this isn't new. You know, there's been talks of Texas and Oklahoma at different times, you know, regarding the big 10, you know, way back when. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, th- th- none of this is actually new. It's just, it's more the fact that this is the most smoke we've seen in a decade. And, and you know, you kind of, you have to go into wait and see mode and, and see if there's any, if anything really comes of it, or was it just chatter to, to just derail Texas a and Because it could have been that too. Or if it was just a way to pander, uh, you know, to to the masses and and gain some some positive PR ahead of, of TV negotiations. Uh, and, and the thing is, you know, we don't, we, you know, win or lose, if they stay or if they go, this might not even... UCF may not even be impacted by this. Yeah. You know, That's the next thing I wanted out. to get to. That's the next thing I wanted to get to, which is the UCF angle. Immediately, whenever you see rumors of Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12, the UCF to the Big 12 chatter, you know, blossoms once again, you know, for on Twitter. Do you even call it the Big 12 at, this, at that point if Texas and Oklahoma leaves? Well, it doesn't have 12 teams in it now. Well, there's nothing big about it either. <laughs> so, you know, the, the question then becomes, oh, the Big 12 is going to, ha- going to have to invite other teams. Well, that's, A, that's not necessarily the case. B, I think it's probably more likely that the conference, that, that the Big 12 conference probably implodes upon losing Texas and Oklahoma, who are their two largest brands and don't come at me with Kansas basketball. Okay. I'm no, sorry. no, but I, I think there's a, there's another reason. And, and I've mentioned it a number of times by I, online, but you know, no one's really thought of it. I think the other power conferences would want the big 12 to fold and implode. They're part of the autonomy five. Mm-hmm. Do you want, you know, these G five schools that have been elevated up to now be part of the, your, your group of autonomy? Probably not. You want your power school. So, you know, Oklahoma State, sorry, guys. Uh, but I do you really want a Cincinnati, a UCF, a Houston to really be part of that club? Uh, I could see them being ha- being happier if the rest of the Big 12 just kind of fizzles away. Well, what uh, you know, we've seen every level of speculation. I think there's a possibility that if somehow Texas and Oklahoma figure this thing out, you would probably see the Big 12 just kind of dissolve, like you said, just dissolve and get scattered to the winds. So you'll see, you know, you could pro- possibly see, you know, maybe two teams go to the Pac 
12. So you'd probably see like, you know, pick the what the two westernmost teams. So let's say Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. All right. Does anyone um, want Texas Tech though? Would anyone honestly want Texas Tech? Good question. Um not a question that I can answer right now. I, I think you would probably see something happen with the Big Ten may get involved. Um there, you know, people were throwing around Kansas, Iowa State, possibly. Gotta be, um, yeah, as long as they're an AAU school, they have a chance. Correct. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Nebraska either. Um, you know, I, does does that help to mend the marriage of Nebraska to the Big Ten? I have no idea. I would idea. just love to see the Big Ten just throw them out. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, grew I, mean, up I mean, in Big Ten. Let, let's let's get them. wild. If that happens, where do they go? <laughs> they they can go to the uh, right to the pack. Where do they go? They go to the Mountain West. Where do they, yeah? Um. Uh. What else? Uh. You could see. Uh. The remaining schools kind of you know. So you're talking like Baylor, TCU, either Kansas State or Iowa State. If you're Mike Oresco in the American Athletic Conference, you're calling West Virginia immediately. Well, I, well, that's the other one. That's kind of a, uh, that's kind of weird. Like, is what would West Virginia? Would you be able to get West Virginia, or is West Virginia going to give you the stiff arm and say no? Let's go to. Let's see if we can get into the ACC. And if the ACC decides to add two, they could just really they don't have to add two. They would add one and a half because they could add West Virginia, and then um, it's it's a, it's a known fact that they want to get Notre Dame in there in football. Hey, the, the new commissioner has flat out said we want Notre Dame in football. Mm-hmm. And and after the 2020 season, when they were a member for that one year, they had such a blast as a full member. The, the response from the Notre Dame administration was so positive towards it. From the athletic administration, it sounds like they, they over time, could probably nudge the school administration to make a change. Well, they're going to have to work out that TV contract with NBC. I'm sure accommodations could be made. But um, <laughs> it's that leaves you with, you know, I, I would not be surprised if all of these dominoes fall. And I think that there's a almost 0% chance. Of, and listen, I'm happy to be wrong. Because I listen, I if, if, this hap- if this does happen, this could be good for UCF, right? Well, I mean, you, you, it could be good for UCF. It could be good for the American. I, I think it's more likely that the te- that the leftovers from the Big Twelve would merge into the American rather than teams from the American leave for the Big Twelve. And the the problem the problem with leaving for the Big Twelve is you don't know what you're going to land into. Right. Much like when the American first came together as the remnants of the Big East, they had no television contract. They had no perceived value. Now, granted, the eight remaining schools in the in the, the Big Twelve, if you take out Kansas, is better than the bottom half of the American. If you take out the top four schools, you know that eight versus that seven, or that seven versus seven, the Big Twelve has a better conference. Uh, so, what what could happen is if the the if the media partners are able to give some some level of guarantees. You know, you do, you bring in these schools, we'll do this. Yeah. Uh, the first, you know, you then have to create a pecking order. And 
if you you can either do two schools and replenish or you can do four schools and get to 12 or or so i don't think they would go any higher than that because there's really no one to not enough schools really that are valued enough but i mean the unfortunate part for ucf is they're not number one or number two in that situation they're number three because number one would be houston easily you, you have to replace texas and try to mitigate as much damage as possible thus bring in houston and, which has and, a which is a, in a massive metropolitan area has a large student population. I Houston's People the number that. three metropolitan area in the country. Yeah, the number three. Uh, granted, and you know, Houston's Texas, a big. It's not UCF size, but it's a big school. Yeah, and you know the the truth is, yeah, it, it may be Texas territory, but you're trying to mitigate as much damage as possible. Second team becomes Cincinnati because you have an opportunity now to fix the West Virginia glitch, which was they were an island. West Virginia glitch. That's a good, <laughs> they were an island. Great term. <laughs> <laughs> I just think yeah. they fixed the glitch and then you, you, you fit, you go by geography and then you look at strength of program and UCF is by far better than, than the other, you know, traditional candidates in this situation. Uh, you know, Memphis being a distant fourth, but I think at that point they would actually look at a Western for a fourth school. But I, it really depends on what they decide to do now, because, you know, they won't have those two elite schools. It's very possible that the partners are going to say, Hey, we want inventory. Just, you know, bring us to 12. I think the other thing might be, you know, what do, what would those remaining schools? And, and, and I know this is far afield and I'm, and I'm not on the, on the train that says that this is ever going to happen um, from the Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC side. So none, none of these dominoes fall without those dominoes falling. Right. But, Everything is contingent on those two. Moving. Yeah. But you know, what value, well, the, the question that I have is where it, 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 that would be even more contingent on the television contract, right? Because Chances are those those remaining Big Twelve schools, without Texas and Oklahoma there, you know, as the horses pulling the wagon, they got to find that media power somehow. So, does tying yourself to Fox create that? I don't think so. Now, nah, at this point, you look at, at this CBS. Point, with CBS, well, at this point, you still got to look at ESPN. And, the thing and, is, and I, and I room. think, well, that's, but that's the thing that that's why the American become going to the American becomes the better option because the American's already on board. The American's with ESPN. on board, but then you, then you have to be able to, to use the financial, uh, you know, trick of we've changed our membership let's renegotiate because i mean the right. truth is you put a team you know let's say baylor and tcu and you got two texas schools uh you uh, the american already has a decent texas pro, um, you know presence there you know smu tcu is just a very natural fit mm-hmm. uh then baylor big rivalry too by the way baylor's the next best thing uh from them maybe maybe oklahoma state instead but you bring in the you know either a Baylor, Oklahoma State, and a TCU in there. And the value of that conference is no longer $7 million a school. And, and you have to fight for that. Now, despite what some people are thinking, the American is not going to throw anybody out. 
it's not happening. Just, just, just stop. They're not throwing any school out. There's been no school that has done anything to actually warrant being thrown out. It's not like when, when Temple got tossed, you know, almost 20 years ago from the Big, the East, Big East because yeah. they didn't put any resources into trying to be competitive. They're, they're trying, they're all trying, uh, but you, you can't justify dropping a school. So you have to work with, within that, that system. The only school you can get away with dropping is Navy. The only one you could get away with it once their contract expires as a football only member. But in that, it's not, there's no one. So you got to be very choosy in who you yeah. bring in. You have 11, all, you know, football members right now, you know, you can bring in three, bring it to 14 and, and, you know, parlay that into a better deal. You know, if, if the American can get up to 14, 15 a year, you know, that's, it's manageable, and then they can try to use that to springboard to more over time. And TCU used to have a very strong program. Oklahoma State's been on and off. Uh, Baylor, once upon a time, was was actually really good, but you know, they made some very bad choices and paid a steep price for it. Mm-hmm. And then you have the American schools, which, as we've seen, don't command a lot of money in comparison to the others. In comparison, yeah, but yeah. they don't command a lot of money. You know, we're we're looking at eight figures a school, and the American right now hasn't can't do that. They just the so, brand value just isn't there. So let me flip this on this head, and 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 we'll finish up on this in just a second because I want to talk about this more from a UCF perspective. What? Let's say Texas and Oklahoma decide, oh, we really weren't going to leave for the SEC. We're just trying to extort more money out of our out of our television partners, um, and get into the renegotiation a of the real contract. possibility right which which i think is actually i don't think it's i think it's more than a possibility i think that's the likelihood i think that's what's really going on here um we saw in the previous rounds of realignment that when these tv contracts not got negotiated there you know for that amount of money uh the networks came back to the conferences and said look you're gonna have to add some schools here in a couple of different cases right could there be a possibility that if Texas and Oklahoma stay in the Big 12, that either ESPN or Fox or CBS or whatever, that they you know, they get their way, they get a new TV contract, could their, one of their partners go back to them and say, hey, you got to add some schools on the, uh, in populated areas, on the, preferably on the eastern side of the United States? Would then UCF become an attractive proposition for a further extorted big 12 absolutely uh you know they they would definitely become much more valuable you know they they are in a a good media market unfortunately media markets don't carry the value they used to carry right you know the streaming revolution has happened people yep because of core cutters and streamers and stuff you have made ucf's market less valuable (laughs) yes i am one of those unfortunately (laughs) but it's well it's it's unfortunate but it is true. I mean, it, the the whole the the whole thing about cable subscribers in a given media market that's and, that's gone now. Yeah. I mean, it, well, I should I should, I should rephrase it. Down. It's not gone, but it's no longer the power play that it used to be. It's now about brand value, and, and the unfortunate truth is there is no school, not in the P five right now, that is worth twenty million dollars a year. None, not even BYU. They're probably the closest one. 
but none of them are worth $20 million a year. And so you're, you're going to have to have as part of your media negotiations, uh, some, some sort of give and take because the big 12 per school makes really good bank, you know, because there's only 10 of them, but in order to convince them to bring in a couple more, there's going to have to be a little bit of give and take there. Uh, we already have an uneven distribution of, of media rights fundage in the Big 12. That, mm-hmm. That's one of the things. Texas and Oklahoma get more money than the other schools in, in terms of media rights. Right. In, in fact, West Virginia for a long time only had a partial share right. of that diminished amount as as joining as part of their joining because they they needed the conference to bail them out of the uh, the biggies buyout but you know when, when you look at it that way for for ucf if they could still get get in you know get an invite even a 20 million dollars 15 million dollars is better than seven yeah, and, and it, it'll it'll improve, but I, you're always going to, as opposed to the AC, the American, where every school has is a little more balanced as far as control. There, it's the Texas Conference mm-hmm. in the Big Twelve. Now, you know, you have one, and then you have one A, and one A is is Oklahoma, but they're actually kind of like a quarter step below Texas. It's the Texas show, and you must pay homage. Yeah. I, I wrote about this. I wrote about this eight. Is it eight years ago? Yeah, eight years ago. When these expansion rumors popped up the first time, and and I said, and I and I asked. This is on SportsTalkFlorida.com. This is how long ago this was, and and I asked openly. I'm You're like, so old. Do you really want to be beholden to Texas and Oklahoma? Do it for the Benjamins. Do, but do you really are the Benjamins worth that much to you that you're willing to, you know, you're willing, you're okay with them holding a gun to your head at every turn when it comes to conference policy? I mean, at that point, just I'm not, TCU. I'm not so sure I am. I mean, at that UCF point, fan. give TCU and call, say, and ask, hey, how did the adjustment work for you? <laughs> uh, fair, fair. I get it. Um, I just, man, I, the, the, this whole stuff gives, it makes me so anxious. It's, it's so, it's just, it's just so wild and <laughs> we're going to be following it for a while. And we got some questions from you, the listeners on it, uh, in a little bit, um, uh, real quick, let me wrap this segment up with you, uh, Drew, before we take a break and go to Bryson to talk, uh, Olympics and baseball two weeks from now. All right. Are we seeing a press conference with Greg Sankey and Bevo and Boomer Sooner and all that? Or is this just is this just a media power play? I'm going to go with no. Okay. I mean, I'm that's what go, I'm thinking, too. I'm going to go with no. I don't. I think I'm thinking that the National College Football Media and in turn Twitter is being played right now by Texas and Oklahoma. I really do believe that. Now in three weeks, maybe a different thing. But in two, no. <laughs> you get me started with you. Jeez. All right. Um, hit us up, Jeff underscore Sharon, Statboy Drew on Twitter for all your latest conference speculation news. All that fun stuff. This thing just drives me crazy. I can't even I can't even believe we're talking about this again. You know, Drew, 
and a lot of the listeners out there know how much I absolutely freaking hate all of the Big Twelve talk because well, of how they uh, because of how they yanked UCF around the last time. They oh, raided them in front uh, like like the Westminster Kennel Club dog show, and then decided, you know what? Well, no, we're just going to take them more money from ESPN and and Stan Pat. And, and I'm, you gotta, I'm, you gotta I am love still, the realignment, though. You gotta love the speculation. Oh yeah, it's 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 fodder for content, that's for sure. But but the way they treated UCF, and I and, and it's true, and Cincinnati, and Memphis, and USF, and I think a few other ones. Oh, they treated them all terribly. It was su- it was such a it it really soured my outlook. On the Big 12. And I know we as fans, you know, we also see gigantic dollar signs, right? I just don't think that they'll be as gigantic as you think. It's going to require giving up a lot of power, a lot of leverage. UCF has plenty of leverage, I think, right now in the American. I think that's pretty clear. Um, The trajectory of the American is going upwards, where the Big 12s is going downwards. I think that's another thing that we need to bear in mind is look, looking forward you're already locked in with espn you're not going into a a situation where you're like ah, maybe we'll maybe we'll sign a deal with cbs or nbc or fox or you know the wb no that doesn't exist anymore but um you know who knows where you're gonna go with that you know stadium yeah i i who knows this is a um, conference usa <laughs> But uh, you know, or or was it BNTV? <laughs> BNTV. I think that was probably was Al Jazeera on that. No, no, no. That was. I know that UCF played FIU on that. On that. Yeah, network. that was one of their partners. Yeah. Uh, uh, UCF went back in the old CUSA days. Played on Ion. Ion. Yeah. Yep. I remember Ion. Um, you know. Well, I remember the Independent CSTV. days. We were on Sunshine Network. So, uh, but. Yeah, we're going to be following this pretty closely. I don't know what's going to come of it. I don't think much, but I reserve the right to be wrong and be surprised if something does happen. Um, I just don't think it will. I'm I not mean, getting my I'm not always... getting my hopes up, and I'm hoping you out there, UCF fans who are listening to us on this podcast, don't get your hopes too high either. Because keep your expectations been... tempered. Yes, we've been down this road before. It and has almost, resulted in almost always has been in misery. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's I, exactly right. It's, I, it's just always ended in misery. Realignment has always been an absolute mess. I remember in 2012. Unless you produce content, then it's great. Well, well, in 2012, I tried to write a primer uh, for realignment. At that time, it was also very busy. And I was at part 12 <laughs> when I realized I'm never going to finish. <laughs> yeah, I know. This I have is just going to go forever. This is the I, story that doesn't end. It, it really is. I have the old copies. Um, the website doesn't exist anymore, uh, but I have the old copies of this primer. <laughs> it was up to like saving that bad boy. That's uh, right. Well, you know, you just, you just store it away, you know, just for prosperity, part of your portfolio. Right. But yeah, it, it, it never ended. It had no ending. <laughs> All right. We'll be following it at UCF underscore banner on Twitter. Stick around. We'll get back. Bryson Turner is going to join me. To talk about uh, seven UCF graduates in the Olympics in seven different sports uh, as the Olympics get started on Friday. And then also we'll talk UCF baseball. Colton Gordon, newly minted Houston Astro, will join us. Well, we'll join Bryson and Eric Lopez 
uh, to talk about his time at UCF and his move to uh, Houston, even in the midst of Tommy John surgery when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon with you. Uh, Drew's dipping out for a little bit. Joining me, Bryson Turner, who's working on a couple of things, especially uh, a couple of things that are going on right now, obviously having to do with the offseason. And the Olympics are uh, getting underway. Opening ceremonies are on Friday in Tokyo. And UCF is, once again, well represented in the Summer Olympics uh, in Tokyo. Uh, so Bryson's with us now to talk about it. And, uh, and Bryson... Um, we saw from uh, you know a couple stories from UCF, actually from the university that you know on some of the folks that are on some of the alumni who are competing uh, in the Olympics. But uh, the um, the the eldest veteran uh, from UCF, of course, Phil Dalhauser, who graduated in 2002, 19 years ago. He's back in the Olympics. He's 41 years old, trying to chase down his second uh, Olympic medal. Remember he. Uh, was the most outstanding player back in 2008 in the Beijing Games. Uh, he's back at it for USA v- Beach Volleyball. Um, and uh, so what's what's the outlook on him right now, and when can we see him play? So I took a look at the NBC sports ske- broadcast schedule, and basically his first match is going to be on July 24th. And in real life, it's going to take place at 8 a.m. Eastern time. And I believe you should be able to stream it if you have the ability to stream NBC Sports content. 8 a.m. Eastern is an actually reasonable time for things that are taking place 13 hours away. For sure. Uh, but but if you but if you have to get up for work or something on that day, there is a tape delay of the match being aired on NBC Sports Network at 9 p.m. Okay, and he's out there with Nick Lucena, who's his uh, who's his longtime partner. Um, and actually, I I caught one of their uh, warm up matches pri- just prior to the pandemic in March of 2020, and they looked pretty sharp. They were playing, I think, the number uh, top ten ranked team from Italy in an exhibition down at Lake Nona. Um, and then, of course, the pandemic happened. But best of luck to Phil. You know, I've met him a couple times. We've had him on the show before. Um, this will this will be exciting. It'll, it'll you know we're ho- obviously we're all pulling for him. We're also pulling for Alina Reyes, um, goalkeeper for UCF, uh, who graduated in 2011. One of the uh, UCF Athletics Hall of Famer, um, arguably the greatest goalkeeper in UCF history, and she's back in the Olympics uh, with her native um, Brazil. Uh, she played back in uh, in in the Rio Games in her home country in 2016. Uh, she was initially a, an alternate for this year's team, Bryson, but she got some good news when they were training in Portland, Oregon. She's now been moved up to the big team. Is that right? Yes. So from what I understand, the uh, the roster that the women's soccer teams were allowed to bring to Tokyo was increased to 22, which left gave enough room for a line to be invited onto the main team instead of being an alternate. So here, so now she'll be able to go to Tokyo. She'll be able to go to her second Olympics officially, officially full blown on the team. Um, there and so far, Brazil's doing all right. Uh, the, earlier, it's earlier today, like really earlier today, they beat China five to zero. So first game won handily, and uh, next up, it, they'll be playing uh, in real life at seven a.m. on on July twenty fourth, our time. 
but versus the Netherlands, but there will be a aired tape delay of the game at 9.30 a.m. on NBC Sports Network. So if, if the line ends up playing, if a line ends up playing, it could be there. I was talking with uh, Eric Lopez earlier today, and he mentioned how and he mentioned how he thinks that it it's unlikely that we could maybe see a line play unless Brazil has hand, handily handled group play. So we could possibly see her in the third group group play according right. to him, which is going to be on July 27th versus uh, Zambia, and it's going to be airing live on Telemundo at 7.30 a.m., but you can also stream it on NBC on NBC Sports if you have that capability. That's when she played in, in 2016 in Rio. They did the same exact thing. They had won, Brazil had won their first two games in group play, and then she, um, uh, and then uh, with their regular starter, who was Barbara, and that gave Alini the chance to play in the third game before the group stage, and she recorded a clean sheet for um, for Brazil. So hopefully she gets another chance like that. Now we got a couple. Uh, now those are the two returning UCF Knights to the Olympics. We have some new UCF Knights uh, heading to the Olympiad. Um, and starting with weightlifting, tell me about Maddie Rogers. She's a recent graduate, 2020 graduate of UCF. Uh, she's a local kid from Apopka. Um and a really interesting story behind her. She's going to be competing in weightlifting. That she is. It is going to be in the 87 kilo, kilogram weight class. Uh, she she will be competing along. Uh, she'll be competing on August second. Uh, in real life, it is going to it's going to be streamed on NBC at 2:50 a.m. Eastern. So it, it so if you want to watch it in real life, go ahead and do that. Grab but a coffee. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. But it, but it will be aired on a tape delay. It's gonna, there's a replay of it that's going to be aired later in the day at 2:15 p.m. Eastern on USA Network. So if you want to keep so if you want to keep an eye out for Maddie on that one, then that's where then that's where you can find her. All right, Kristen Thomas, who graduated in 2016, she's on the USA Women's Rugby Sevens. Um, rugby is a fairly new Olympic sport. Um, but, uh, she, you know, she was a theater studies major, uh, it says here at UCF, originally from Philadelphia and part of, you know, what has been a very active, uh, UCF rugby club scene. Um, I remember the UCF rugby club, they were very active even back when I was a student 20 years ago. Um, and now they have an Olympian that they can count among their ranks. So, uh, tell us about Kristen. So Chris, so Kristen will be playing. They'll have we have some more more pool play to handle. The entire rugby tournament is actually going to be played from what I've seen over the course of three days, which is going to be in to- in Tokyo time. It is from July 29th to July 31st, but because of time differences, there will be games wet that will, for Tokyo they're on July 29th, but for us they're on July 28th. Rugby sevens is wild, man. Those games go quick. If you've they ever do. seen, them. I yeah. act- actually. Um, I actually man, I actually have a literal PDF file of uh, of a list of of a list of games that shows how quick they go. Um, yeah. Go that I managed to find while researching this schedule for this. For this. So if my um, time crunch, if my time coordination is correct, because they list the game time kickoff times in, in Tokyo time, so I had to make sure I got I translated that correctly. But the first round for the so the first round for Kristen is going to be on July twenty eighth for us. And it's going to be at 11 p.m. Eastern against China. Then, if you're um, a night owl, you can see it. 
for sure. Then, th then on match two on July 29th at 7 a.m., it's going to be uh, it's going to be versus Japan. So basically, for them, this will basically be the same day that mm -hmm. the United that the United States team will be playing in the same thing. And then we'll and then they'll be playing. Uh, let me see. I believe. Uh, man, I I wrote a note on this. Well, well, they're in a group with Australia, China, and Japan. Australia, that's what yeah. it is. I wrote I wrote AUS, and I think I was writing it so fast I messed it up. But um, they'll, so they'll <laughs> or you be, thought it was Austria or something? So, no, I wrote AUS, but my handwriting I was brushing. Um, so they are so they will be playing Australia in their third match at eleven third at eleven thirty, and that would be on July eleven thirty p.m. on July 29th for us, but it would be July thirtieth for them and then beyond that we'll see if they can make it to medal rounds and we'll we'll be able to up you guys there on our respective social media accounts with the black and gold banneret all right one more that we want to talk about and then we'll kind of get to sort of a grab bag here chelsea wolf i didn't know about chelsea before she's an alternate on a bmx freestyle she graduated in 2016 and uh, bmx is a new event in the olympics we've had sort of extremist sports in the winter olympics for a long time now i remember nagano in 1998 they uh, they piloted um snowboarding and then it really took off i think in 2002 in salt lake city um but the summer olympics has always been resistant to things like skateboarding and bmx and surfing well those things are part of the olympic program now for the first time uh this year so uh so chelsea wolf uh, will be an alternate on the BMX uh, side. So, so uh, what's her resume look like right now? So she, the BMX tournament, I believe, is going from what I've researched, is going to be happening on July 30, 30th and July 31st. Uh, that that is going to be at 10:20 p.m. our time. So our time. So um, of course she is an alternate. So there is a distinct possibility that she will not be appearing. But on the off chance on the off chance that she does, then that will then that will certainly be something to watch. So obviously, I don't obviously you don't want to wish ill will on anybody, but you know hope. But uh, it's nice to see that Chelsea Wolf is going to be is going to be waiting in the wings yeah. and will be able to step in if things end up happening, especially now where COVID nineteen has become a major issue at the game. Right. All right. Um, there are a couple other people that we wanted to talk about. Um, as well uh and, and the paralympics actually start after the after the uh summer olympics that we're seeing right now and ucf has an athlete competing in, competing in the uh para triathlon that's kyle coon a 2013 graduate what do we know about him so kyle, i look so basically i looked up and kyle and that would be on in late august so uh, basically um the, the notes that i have are focusing on the are focusing on the olympics because the olympics are one thing in the paralympics are another but um i'm you know glad to see that we that we that we have that we have a paralympian night paralympian night and i'm excited for when we cover for when we cover him that's the, that that's still about a month a month out so uh i'm sure that you know on this podcast we'll be able to keep you keep you uh, you viewers up to date on on these olympians and how they and how they're doing and so we'll, we'll probably we'll definitely be crossing that bridge when we get to it all right and then uh, one last one. It, uh, obviously, the officials who are you know people forget about how the officials are part. It's a real honor if you're an official in a sport to be asked to go to the Olympics. And uh, UCF has one basketball official, a guy who we've known for a long time. I've known. I remember we were students together 
Um, he refereed uh, a, a bunch of uh, intramural games um, back when, uh, as part of UCF intramural sports back when I was a student. Uh, and we've seen him now move his way up to college, and, and he's even refed in the NBA. Steve Anderson, who graduated uh, as an undergrad in 05, got his master's from UCF in 07. He's going to be uh, refereeing men's basketball. That he is. Uh, the men's basketball tournament runs from tw- July 25th to uh, August 7th. Uh, I Obviously, the, I, I don't really know exactly which games he would be refereeing in, in that time span, but I'm sure that information will, should be, will be out there somewhere. And if not, and, besides, and even then, you know, the basketball tournament's always fun to watch. So uh, even, if it, even, yeah. even if Mr. Anderson isn't refereeing, that's definitely always something good to always something good to watch so all right glad to see that we have a night representing us on the officiating side all right so that's seven nights that we can we'll be taking a look at it. and of course bryson you'll be following them throughout the olympiad the 32nd summer olympiad in uh, tokyo japan delayed by a year but here we are and the opening ceremonies begin on friday one of the sports that is making its return to the olympics uh or well two of the sports actually are baseball and softball and that gives us a good segue into some ucf baseball news bryson which you have also been uh following fairly closely we had three ucf nights go in the uh mlb draft um and uh and for to this point uh obviously we had uh josh crouch go to the detroit tigers jackson clare to the washington nationals but uh Colton Gordon got selected by the Houston Astros, even despite the fact that he was, um, that he suffered uh, a, a torn ligament in his elbow and had to undergo Tommy John surgery uh, and is still re- recovering from that. He signed on with, uh, or he was drafted and actually signed on with the Houston Astros. Uh, let me just ask you about those three guys in general. Um, you know, before we get to an interview with Colton that you and Eric Lopez just did, um, what? How much of a of a surprise was it that that UCF got three guys drafted, or was it really not a surprise at all? Well, uh, one thing that Coach Lovelady did that I definitely would give him a, give him credit for is after, right after the final game of the season in the American Athletic Conference tournament, he got to he got to answer some questions about the possibility of some players getting drafted. He talked about Colton. He talked about Jack. He talked about Crouch. Talked about Jeffrey. You know, he talked about basically any everybody that you know that were entered that entered themselves into the draft um looking at but look i mentioned this with eric last week but looking at these three specific players colton gordon for for one he is just a pitching talent even with his injury if he's able to you know rebound then if to rebound it's still a major improvement he he led the team in strikeouts even when he missed like you know the last like set month of the year he still led the team in strikeouts so um and then even um, Coach Lovelady himself said that, you know, he was expecting him to go in the sixth round pre-injury, but even post-injury, he said that he that he predicted that that uh, Golden Gordon would be selected in the top 10 rounds, and that would prove to be prophetic as he went in the eighth round to the Astros. So it's going to depend on how, you know, how well he's rehabbing. I mean, when we talked to him, he said that he's getting some range of motion back in there, and so... It's going to probably be all about just rehabbing that rehabbing that elbow back. And, you know, as uh, many that follow baseball should know, Tommy John's surgery usually takes about a year to a year and a half to rehab. 
So that's depth. So the Astros are certainly go are certainly placing their faith in Colton to rehab and get back to the level that we saw him at UCF. But if he does, then um, I think he's definitely going to make a mark in the show as far as Colton goes. All right. So uh, without further ado, let's get, get to the interview that you and Eric Lopez conducted with newly minted Houston Astro pitcher Colton Gordon. How are you doing? You've been rehabbing that UCL for a couple months now. So how's that going for you? Yeah, so everything's going really well. Uh, I was really fortunate. You know, UCF has supported me so much ever since I got there. And the UCL was obviously fortunate. But uh, body feels great. Uh, out of the cast, out of the brace, and got full range of motion back. So that's 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 great. And uh, feeling really good. Feeling strong and, and starting to get in the gym again. And, you know, excited to, to keep the progress going. So – Cole, what is what has this been with, like for you? Did you expect to get drafted? Like, take us through this process leading into this draft, and then that moment where you find your name gets called there, and, and you're part of the Houston Astros in the eighth round. Yeah, yeah. So it was. Uh, it's been it's been quite the journey, uh, quite the little bit of a roller coaster here in the past couple months, and and so uh, was really excited about the year I was having, and and it was it was going you know, really well and was really excited. And the unfortunate thing happened with, with my injury and it kind of went, wow, like, like what now, you know, what's going to happen? And, and a lot of questions, a lot of, a lot of unknowns and, and kind of, there was a thought, you know, I could get drafted. I, I could get drafted later. Like there, there was really no certain answer. So, so leading into the draft, there was a little bit of expectation, but there was not a, a set expectation. So when I got my name called and I was with my family, Man, it was so it was so exciting. It was you know it's it's a dream come true, but it's the first step of of many that I want to take to to become a major league baseball player. So this is just the, the start. How many teams did you get to talk to leading into the process? Did you get a sense of things? What people thought of you, and what did the Astros tell you once they drafted you? They uh, yeah. So so leading into the process after I got hurt, there was there was a good amount of teams that reached out, and you know really, I appreciate the fact they reached out and just said, Hey man, we're, we're sorry to hear about your injury. And that, that was kind of the first part. And then, and then to go on from there, it was, uh, some interest with, with a handful of teams. And, uh, and then when I, I got the call on draft day that the Astros were going to take me, uh, the, the next couple of picks, it was, you know, we were, we're so happy to have you where it said that you in here, get you healthy and, and get to work. And I, I was so, so happy that, you know, they, they got me and, and I'm so happy to be here and, and get better and, and get healthy with them. So, so you were you were you were one of three UCF players to get drafted in, in the draft. What was just your reaction to to Crouch and Sinclair being drafted, especially since you know you've been on the same starting rotation with Sinclair? Uh, expected. Uh, I know. I know that's that might that might be uh, very blunt and simple, but man, Jackson Sinclair and, and Crouch, they're they're. They're so special in their own right. I mean, I mean, Jackson Clair, that kid, that kid's unbelievable. Um, he he's such a, a good athlete, and the, the ability he has to to throw as hard as he does so effortlessly is, you know, he, he's going to go far in this game as well. He's he's just getting started. And uh, Krause, on the other hand, he, he's probably one of the best defensive catchers that's ever caught me in my whole life, if not the best one. So again, they got so much potential and. And it's just the beginning, so we're all really excited. What was uh, Coach Lovelady was excited on social media, and he even told us 
uh, after the conference championship game. He expected you to be drafted in the first turn, 10 rounds, which we were like, whoa. So he clearly had confidence that this would end up working out for you. Uh, what was the interaction with Coach Lovelady after that? And what does that say that he had the confidence in you, even with the setback? Yeah, it, feel, it feels great that he had the confidence in me about that. And then, and then you know, you know, and he's had that since me since, and like, that confidence instilled in me since I got there. And that's, that's part of why I love to be in there is, is, you know, the sense of like, man, go, go get it today. Go, go take the ball. Like, let's go. Like, we're going to kind of ride or die with you. And, and uh, you know, having that support from the coaching staff and, and him and coach Adi and, you know, even, even the, the strength room coach, uh, Jeremy Fraden, and the, the people, the list goes on and on about the, you know, what makes the program what it is, but, but, the confidence starts with Coach Lovelady, but also trickles down to everybody else that was there. So, uh, you know, it was, it was so exciting and, and it was awesome to share that moment with him as well. So what's the next steps for you and, and the Astros? What have they told you? What's the next steps for you? What do you have to do now? Because obviously you still are, are kind of rehabbing. How is, you know, from the, your injury and all that. So what's, what's the process going to be like here now moving forward? So, yeah, so, so now I'm actually in Palm Beach right now. Um, I'm down here, so I'm, which is where their spring training is, and I'll be here probably until the end of the year, almost. Uh, you know, then they're gonna take take over my rehab where I left off, basically, and and that's you know getting in the weight room and, and starting to you know build back up my strength and get stronger than I ever have been, and then a couple months start throwing and in my throwing program, and then build back up and into going to spring training next year, hopefully started to get off the mound a little bit and just continue that process back to uh, to being, you know, even better than I was before. So so how do you think that having the, your injury impacted your draft stock? Coach Lovelady said in the same press conference where he said you would go in the first 10 rounds, he said, like, even your injury maybe only got maybe what caused you to go from, like, a sixth-round pick to a little, somewhere between sixth and ten. So how did, how did that, your injury impact your draft stock from your point of view? I, I really don't know. And, and that was, that goes back to, to part of, uh, you know, the, the, uh, like not knowing what to expect in the draft. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure, I'm sure it didn't help with some teams. I'm sure with other teams, it was uh, less of a factor. Look, my, look, I'm going to work my, my tail off down here and, and get stronger and get better and the surgery was a very successful surgery and I know that I'm going to be back better. So, uh, you know, that's kind of been the mindset ever since it happened. And as far as how the draft turned out, you know, I'm, I'm just happy to be a Houston Astro and be down here with such a great organization. Now, I, now flashing back a little, a, a little bit, because, uh, because your torn UCL ended up coming up right before the the regular season East Carolina series, but in the um, you know the pre- the preview that was put on the UCF Athletics website before you were penciled in to start, so you know one can assume that you were that the injury occurred very shortly before that series, and we never really got any word about how that happened. Can you kind of are you able to take us through like what exactly happened that day, when it happened, and that kind of thing? Yeah, so there's there's no there's no real exact time that. That happened. Uh, we're, I'm pretty sure it happened during that U, my last start that USF during that USF game, uh, and then that next week it was just uh, you know that next day I threw and I knew something was going on and where you know what that was and, and that next week was just a grind uh, in, in the training room recovery doing everything I could to try to pitch again you know 
even if it wasn't going to be that Friday, that weekend at ECU. And when, uh, when I knew that wasn't going to happen, uh, was, I probably found that out. I found that out what pregame on Friday that that wasn't, that wasn't going to happen that weekend. And then, uh, then next week I got the MRI and, and went from there and it was, I found out the news and, and then, uh, kind of the, the views on everything kind of changed and was like, okay, if this is what it is, this sucks. It's, it's you know, and, and beyond it sucking for me, it sucks for the team. Like, like this past year, our, our, our team, you know, we had the year we had, but our expectation was to, to kind of shock the world. I mean, look, our program's on the up and up, and, and the guys we had in that locker room, man, we we had the oppor- opportunity to do something unbelievable. And and part of what was so unfortunate was obviously us not being able to do, you know, the goals we set out to do. But you know, they're going to be they're going to be headed in the right direction for years to come for sure. So that's really exciting. Now, you had the injury, but you stayed with the team. And other guys even talked about how you were still supportive of them. You were in the dugout. You were – talk about that mindset because obviously that's a brutal news to get. It could have been easy to just say, man, you know, woe is me and and just kind of, you know, separate yourself from the team. But you didn't do that. You helped the other guys. You were still supportive. Just take me through that process and how you helped the guys because they talked about they helped you, uh, you know, guys like Patterson and others. They talked about how you helped them. Uh, through this, the rest of the year and into that conference tournament run. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I take I take pride in being being one of the leaders on that team, and but but more importantly, like I did, we got after it every day with those guys, and like that's not I don't want to go anywhere. I mean, that's that's where I wanted to be. Like like those guys, you know, not not only are they you know good people, they're 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 fun. Like they get a they grind, like they get after it. Hunter Patterson that goes in every day and, and finds a way to get better. And, and like it's fun to do that. Like if you're around a bunch of guys that are pulling in the same direction, it makes it easy. And, and you know that's that's I mean that's what I want to be as a person too. I want to be, you know, the guy that that I not only hopefully leads the team on the field right and, and winning, but also off the field. You know, kind of leading by example. And and that's just one way that I I try to do that and, and be around. And again, there was no other place I'd rather be than than out there kind of cheering those guys on and and being in that atmosphere. So being in that position, being being around everybody in the in the dugout for the for the second half of the season, um, you know, obviously with you leaving in the MLB draft and AJ Jones graduating, that leaves some spots open in in the pitching rotation. So who do you, from your point of view, who who's kind of who who are the young pitchers because there are a lot of young pitchers on the team, who's really stuck out to you? Yeah, I mean, Patterson will Patterson will take take some lead next year and take over a lot of responsibilities but man the freshman we had this past year and I know there's freshmen coming in and there'll be some new faces on the team I'm sure but I mean Patterson will take a lot of responsibilities uh Ben Vespi is a, is a guy that's that's going to be unbelievable Nick Beers that continue to grow uh Zach Bennett uh I think I think even even Zach Hunsinger is a guy that's been there a while will will definitely get some more responsibilities and um again like UCF has a bright future like the, the like it's you just can't argue with the coaching staff and and the support staff around them like they go in every day and find a way to get you better and you're in a place that is constantly like moving forward and, and, and finding ways to to get everybody involved and, and progress in a in a positive way so they're they're on the up and up no matter what way you look at it so it's exciting 
So you mentioned Hunter Patterson, and you know he he started out the season and had a and had a little bit of a stumble. Went to the bullpen, ended up regaining his stuff there. And then after you get hurt, or a couple weeks after you get hurt, he comes back into the rotation and takes over your day one, your your game one slot. Um, what was it like watching Patterson go through what he's gone through this season? Yeah, uh, it's it's great for him. Look, like baseball's baseball's so hard. It's so tough, and, and not and not every day you're gonna have a great day. But but I think part of you know what was so cool to watch about him was you know kind of went when the reliever role. I think learned a lot about himself. You know, made some adjustments on the mound, and then was able to come back out at the end of the year and, and, and show those adjustments he made. Even maybe some maturity, some growing that he that he had to do throughout the year. And and you know, I think he knows as long as everybody else knows the expectations for him to draw out there and continue to do that this year. And and it's exciting. I mean, it's awesome. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing them out there again uh, this upcoming year. Let's talk about, about your career at UCF because you had a heck of a run. You know, the two starts I think a lot of Knights fans will remember is your win, your start at Auburn, where you kind of helped start them sweeping Auburn in 2020 and obviously the great year that you were having in 2020. And then this past year at Ole Miss, they were number one at the time, and you get the win, and that helped uh, prevail that win the series two out of three. Do you, when you think back to those, your career at UCF, what do you, what pops into your mind? Is it those two starts in particular? Yeah, it's so much. It's so much. I mean, listen, those two starts were awesome. And I absolutely, they'll be in there without a doubt, but it's, it's stuff off the field. It's, it's, you know, being with the guys off the field, being with the guys on the field and, and being able to, you know, if those two starts is, is a way to push the program forward and, and kind of leave a mark. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it's, it was a blast and it was so exciting, but, but you know, what I'm, what I remember most is just the guys that I was with and, and kind of, again, the, the way we pushed to get better, but also to push the, the program to be in a more prominent spot. So that's, what's really exciting about it. So, so speaking of, of Eric's mentioning last season, you ended, you ended, even though you, your season ended pre ended weeks before weeks early for you because of, you know, the injury, uh, you actually are the, led the team in strikeouts with 72 with the only player, even within 10 of that is Hunter Patterson. What it what it was it even though you didn't really you didn't exactly know at the time it was your last game at, at USF what was it like to to pitch this season putting up and putting up numbers like that? Yeah, it was exciting. Uh, it's it's what it's what you want to do. It's what you work for. Uh, you know, it's you know the pitching coach. You know, Nick Adi, Coach Adi, uh, helped tremendously. You know, helped me grow as a pitcher there, uh, as a person on, on and off the mound and. Uh, again, it's what you work for. It's what you put in the time for every day is to be able to go out and, and lead the team on the field like that and uh, hopefully win a lot of games. And um, it's exciting that, you know, a lot of those young guys are going to have, you know, more responsibilities this upcoming year and, and to see them take that over as well. What uh, got you to come to UCF? And I remember, because I remember Coach Lovelady and media availabilities from the day you walked in, he had the confidence in you right from day one. Uh, so you clearly must have hit a bond there. But t- t- take us through your journey, how you ended up at UCF. Yeah, so I was at uh, I was at Hillsborough Community College. I went to Florida out of high school. I went to junior college, and then and then UCF ended up being a spot where where it was perfect for me. It was a place that I knew 
that if I went in and I, I worked hard every day, I could pitch and, and, and have the role potentially that I had as long as I went in there and with an open mind learned and, and got better. And then from there, uh, just grew a bond with the coaching staff, the players, and and it was just getting better every day. And I think I think that paid off in so many aspects. And I know it's it's really as simple as that. It's just you know making a lot of friends with the people you're around and, and memories, but also just finding a way to, to get better every day. That was, that was kind of the goal. Whether it was something really little, or something really big, it was something every day to push forward. Whether it was myself, the team, a group of guys, it was always. You know, how do we get better today? How do we, you know, figure this out? So uh, it was it, – that's how, that's how I ended up there. So, so when I left Hillsborough, it was th- – that, that kind of mantra that I just, you know, spoke about was kind of spoke – like told to me, kind of sold to me, and, and that was something I wanted to be around. I wanted to be around a place where, man, you should come in and, you know, work on different things mechanically, pitching, throwing – whatever it was with baseball and, and to be able to do that and grind and, and have a coaching staff that was willing to work with you nonstop was, you know, obviously someplace I wanted to be and being, being close to home as well, as well was, uh, was a huge factor, but those were the main reasons. Colton, you're, you're, you also are leading behind a team who uh, is also having a little bit of, has a little bit of holes to fill offensively now with Jordan Rathbone graduating and of course, Josh Crouch going in the MLB draft like I like I asked before when I asked who stuck out with the pitchers, you know, pitchers, who sticks out to you offensively or in or in the field? Yeah, so so in the field offensively, Alex Freeland, uh, again, he's he's unbelievable. Um, that kid, that kid's uh, roommates who are going to still be there. Look, Nick Nick Romano and, and Tom Dawson are going to – they're going to they're gonna come back and have a really special year uh, and, and lead – be a kind of a veteran presence in the lineup, which is super exciting and, and, and much needed. Um, and and I think, you know, there's going to be guys that stand out too, some new faces that like I said before on the mound. Same thing in the lineup. There's going to be some new guys that step up, and that's really exciting as well. So, uh, you know, they're going to – again, they're moving in the right direction, and they're going to have a great year next year. Yeah, Freeland's kind of a freak. I mean – for what he yeah. accomplished is just in his first year. I mean, what was it like, you know, having him behind you there? Were you even blown away from what he can do considering his young age? Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but no, because we're able to see it every day. Um, and, and that's kind of the cool part about it is you kind of, after you see it every day for a while, you're like, all right, like, that's unbelievable, but like, let's do it. Like, that's awesome. And, and, you know, it also sets an expectation for the, him and the guys around him. Look, look, you're really good. That's awesome. But every day, like, that's that's what you got to be. So, um, you know, it was really impressive. Super proud of him. And, and he knows he's got a bright future and a long way to go. So, um, it's, it'll be exciting to see what he brings to the table in the next couple of years. A couple last questions before we let you go. Have you reached out to, like, a G- Hakinson or Trevor Holloway or just kind of – or anybody else that's probably already up in the – you know, kind of what's it like in the – hey, what's it like in pro ball? What what should I look forward to type of thing? Yeah, for sure. And it was cool because got to talk to them a little bit during the year as well, even before this process kind of happened. And, you know, checking in on them and seeing, you know, what's going on. Like, what have they been up to? Like you're saying, it's great. So, yeah, so they've given me a little insight, so that's super cool. And, 
definitely helped a lot, you know, coming down here this, this past week, couple of weeks. I know you mentioned that, you know, we talked earlier about the Auburn and the old Miss game. If I forced you to pick one of those two start, which one do you do you like better? Which one's your preference there? Well, or do you have a, unless you want to go off the board. I don't know. I like listen, I like I like both. I like both. I like, you know, I like the fact that that we won. Like I you know, you know, I, I like the fact that we swept all we swept the Auburn, but I like the fact that we won both of those series and and uh you know, I I, I was glad I was able to set the tone. And, and that's what I want going forward is guys able to set the tone and look, we can compete with anybody. We're, we're really good. It, like top to bottom. And, and man, it was, it was exciting to be able to do that, but there were so many starts that I remember that were just good days and, and, and really fun. So. Well, a lot of night fans are going to remember you when we look back years from now and your name comes up on campus, what do you want people to say about you as your legacy at UCF? Man, it's, it's a great question. I want to be, you know, my, my legacy at UCF, I want it to be a couple of things. I want to be a great pitcher. I want to be, you know, a great, a great person, a great teammate, but a, a great leader as well. Someone that, that took the program and, and hopefully left my mark is what we talk about all the time, leaving your mark on a, like leaving a legacy. So, so something along those lines, but also a great pitcher, a great leader, but a guy that was a team guy. Like I've always been a team guy and that's kind of my thing. I, I love it. I love competing with guys and, and getting after it and, uh, and a winner, like a, a, a winner. And, and that's kind of it, like a winner, team guy, uh, and and just getting after it every day, a hard worker. Like like every day I showed up, my goal was to find a way to get better, you know, even if it was something little, uh, just, again, keep pushing forward. So that's what I want to leave behind. Well, you've last, uh, you left a lot of great memories. A lot of night fans really enjoyed watching you. And there. we were excited when we saw your name get called up in the big leagues there uh, and the Astros. And we're going to be following you closely, man. Congrats on that. Uh, wish you the best of luck and uh, appreciate you taking time from the busy schedule. But uh, congrats, man. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you guys so much as well. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks to Colton. Thanks to Eric. And thank you, Bryson, for, uh, bringing, for, for conducting that interview for us with Colton. Congratulations to him. Um, An honor to talk to him. Yeah, and and, uh, and obviously we wish him the best with his rehab. I know that they're going to give him a good shot. It shows you the faith that the Astros have in him. That even despite the injury, they're bringing him, they drafted him and paid him quite a bit of money too, uh, right in terms of his bonus money. Yes, it it, it definitely what it what if I recall correctly, it was lower than what his value the the pick the pick itself is normally valued at, but. Hey, if you're a college kid, especially since, you know, we only just got NIL rights. So if you're a college kid now, then you, you, how can you turn down a, a kind of money like that? Yeah. Um, let's talk about the other two guys, Jack Sinclair and uh, Josh Crouch real quick. Um, and I want to start with Sinclair because he also signed on. He got his bonus money, too, from the Washington Nationals. And I think the Nationals saw in him, you know, what what they had in 20. 20 before the pandemic where he was lights out out of the pen um it was a rougher time for him this past season as a starter although he did have some really good moments um what what is the outlook for Sinclair now with the Washington Nationals do you think well Jack Sinclair is very interesting so um so based off of what I've seen of him with last season I think that what might have led to Sinclair um, getting the attention of the Nationals because before Colton Gordon got hurt, Jackson Clare was actually not having the best the best season. He start 
Um, he's he before Colton Gordon tore his UCL. He Sinclair was was one and four and pitching a five point nine seven ERA at the time. However, in the in his final six games after Colton's injury, he completely turned his season around. He went four and one and pitched a three point four five ERA in that final stretch of six games. So I think that that turnaround that he did really saved him as far as being him being selected in the in the MLB draft. And so, you know, obviously he's not Colton Gordon. Colton Gordon has, a, so, but I think that if Sinclair is able to maintain the, consist- the consistency that he did in those final six games in that final month of the season where he really needed to step up and when Colton Gordon got hurt, then I could definitely see a good, a solid MOB career out of him as well. I will definitely be watching his journey to the show with great interest. All right. And then um, Josh Crouch in particular, I, th- I think that when he was, when he was picked, it was, it, it really felt like kind of a blow to UCF because he was so instrumental in how far this team got and how close they got to the NCAA tournament. His bat was amazing. He was phenomenal behind the plate. Obviously, congratulations to him on the Detroit Tigers. Um, now, we haven't gotten any no, any notification whether or not he's actually signed with the Tigers. But you were telling me earlier, it's you think it's pretty much it, it's it's in the bag that he's that he's going to go. And where does that leave UCF in terms of the catcher position? Well, so I I said that yet last week because I because I was basically you know. I, like I said before, earlier today, as a college kid, you know, and you get that money and this, we're not factoring in NIL because it only just happened. And, you know, you can't really turn down the, the kind of pro money that you'd be able to get. If you get, if you're able to get drafted, then for sure, like I completely wouldn't fault you if you left and Crouch had a massive breakout. I think if I, if I'm not misremembering, I believe he won the Banny for, or was nominated or won the Banny for breakout player of the year. I, I think he was either nominated or won, but um nominated nominated he was nominated okay yeah i was yeah i I was trying to remember that but there was a reason why he was nominated for that award because he could just completely came out of nowhere and his bat was like you said the bat was extremely instrumental in in leading the team he was um right behind jordan rathbone for the home run for the team lead in home runs and he managed and he, he plays catcher he managed to make that switch to catcher over the course of his college career and I mean, team, pro teams took notice, and who can fault them? Um, I, I yeah. think that um, I'm very glad that he was able to make a, such a great turnaround and be able to get drafted like he has. Uh, unfortunately, what that does leave you know UCF in a little bit of a precarious position when it comes to catcher. I'm not, I mean, the, for as far as bats go, I'm not too worried about bats because i think there are some bats at ucf that 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 are that are likely to stay that should be able to fill the void such as uh, the freshman phenom alex freeland you got ben mccabe who and ben mccabe and speaking of mccabe i touched on this with eric lopez last week um ben mccabe he he played a lot of first base this season but the season before that he, you know he's a catcher you know that's where he started and so with Josh Crouch's departure and Nick Romano, who plays first base, and his resurgence in the American Athletic Conference tournament, and I have to imagine that he'll continue to build on that in, during the offseason and fall ball. So if Nick Romano comes back and plays first base, then we could maybe see Ben McCabe come back and return to play catcher. Now, obviously, you know, this is just based on 
you know, on unknown quantities at this point. So, you know, things can change with the transfer portal, which I think, I'll, which we'll bring up in a second and um, new, new freshmen coming in, but just based off of the known quantities that we have, that we have right now, you know, I think we'll be able, I think we'll be, we'll be able to, to, um, I guess not fill, completely fill the void, but I think that Crouch's bat will will be like less of a blow than I think a lot of people think it will. All right, so we'll be keeping an eye on that, and then also there's going to be we did see that there was one uh, transfer coming in from uh, the University of Pittsburgh. Is that right? Yes, that um, yes, he said he said so on on his Twitter. It is a uh, home. It is Riley Walsh. He's a home. He is a, a local product originally from Lake Brantley, mm-hmm. and uh, he's and he's making making his way back to um, making his way back to Central Florida. I have his stats over over here. Um, he he managed to play in nine start in nineteen games for Pittsburgh. Played in twenty three. He hit a one seventy, had a one seventy nine batting average. So his bat, so his bat isn't exactly there, but his fielding percentage is 0.994 from last time. And so, I and, and so while I do think that if you if you put Riley Walsh against say Ben McCabe, I would I I would predict that Ben McCabe would win that out. But I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, be surprised if Riley Walsh would be the would be the backup. Although obviously, unless a freshman comes in. And performs very well in fall ball. We also actually have another transfer coming in. My um, my source told me that uh, mm-hmm. we're going to be that uh, Connor Stain, a pitcher from Maryland, is going to be coming to UC is going to be coming to UCF as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so he um, last season for Maryland, he had he started in six games, pitched thirty four point two innings. It went zero and three, six point four six ERA. So not exactly the the best of statistics in that category, but you know, but however, he does bring some start some starting pitching experience to to a UCF team that I that I've said before that starting pitching has been their Achilles heel last season, and so I think if our pitching coach uh, pitching coaches will be able to work with him and be able to um and be able to you know help him improve. He's a, he was a sophomore, so he so he'll be coming in as a junior. He, I think he'll have some time to develop, and he and I think you could be very interesting to see how he how he comes in. All right. So there's our update on UCF baseball. We got a lot. We also have um we also have though the other side of the transfer portal. Um, what my oh that's right because yes, you wanted to talk about that, that too. There yes, are guys exactly. who are in the tra- transfer portal right now. Now it doesn't mean that they're going anywhere. Right. Exactly. But they are some noteworthy names. They are looking. So um, let's go ahead and just get the ones out of the way that not many people might know. Just so we just so that way we know the names are there. So infielder Matt Archer, left-handed pitcher Nick Gotia, and left-handed pitcher Keegan Pulford. Thorpe, Pulford Thorpe. So uh, those guys are both leaving, and I can easily see why they would. You know, the the, the left-handed pitching market in UCF is stacked right now. The bullpen really stacked right now. It makes sense why they would want to seek opportunities elsewhere. With elsewhere, and then as far as the infield goes, I think everyone's pretty pretty uh, cemented with Andrew Braid at third, Alex Greenwood short, either John Montes or Tom Joseph at second. So I guess- now Archer had that injury too that he suffered. Um, in that dog pile on second base after the um, after that one walk off hit that they had, so yes, that yes, that as well. So that's so there's that. Um, I um, now this one is now we many people might not know this name, but I do want to bring it up because it was important to something we discussed earlier. Uh, catcher Matthew Menendez. 
Um, so I mentioned early on last week's show that Matthew Menendez might be a interesting, uh, interesting player to look at as far as looking at what the catching depth chart for UCF is going to look like looking forward. And so to see him in the transfer portal, I think is is very interesting. And so we'll see how that works out because if he leaves, then obviously the our catching depth chart might be a little bit shallower than we would have thought prior but again doesn't exact doesn't necessarily mean he's leaving it just means he it just means he might possibly leave so um so there's that but the two biggest names that were in the transfer portal transfer portal my source tells me are starting pitcher kenny serwa and closer david litchfield um so I want to start with Serwa because we were talking about starting pitching earlier. Uh, I mentioned before in last week's show when we were talking about, you know, how the starting pitching rotation is going to go moving forward. And I mentioned that um, Serwa was a part of my prediction of who was going to be in the starting rotation last year because he got another scene of eligibility. Well, now with the revelation from that he is now in the transfer portal, that changes things a little bit. So with the possibility of him leaving, that basically means that the starting rotation is from last season that that last season pretty much was what is wiped almost clean the only one the only starters that were, would, would be returning this season from last season are are hunter patterson and zach hunsicker that's it aj jones is graduate aj jones graduated colton gordon got yeah. drafted aj jones has been playing some independent ball and actually got off to a good start too didn't he that yes, that he has. And the thing is, is that they weren't mainline starters the entire season. Zach Hunsaker made a lot of his starts during the stopgap between when Colton Gordon got injured and between the, between when Zach when Hunter Patterson came up and took o- and took over this, that spot in the starting rotation. And then we we talked about Hunter Patterson and how he started the season in the rotation, ran into some issues, went to the bullpen, worked on his stuff, came back after Colton Gordon got hurt, and managed to just completely just completely blow up the competition great resurgence out of him great improvement from him and i'm very excited to see what hunter pattison could be able to do as a as the head of the rotation but aside from pattison you know there really isn't that much of a sure quality zach hunsicker kind of went kind of uh, was pulled back from starting duties but near the end of the season so who knows so we're not who who knows who's to say if um he's going to be a sure bet to be in the starting rotation, we could see uh, transfer. We could see the transfer portal play a factor. I, like I said, we talked about Connor Stain, so we could possibly see that. Um, we we could have a starting. We could have a freshman come in and just completely blow our minds in fall ball. Or um, we um, when me and Eric talked to Colton Gordon, as you heard before, we talked about like you know what kind of pitchers stand out to you, and one of the pitchers that he mentioned was Ben Vespi. And I said, and I said last week, we, in last week's show with Eric, that um, considering Ben Vespi's extended relief appearances, where he's made like you know five, you know four, five inning appearances, I think that he could be a relief pitcher that could easily be stretched out to, into a starter. So, um, so while you know it's a little bit, um, it basically the the sky's the limit, basically with the with the UCF starting rotation right now. I said that I said earlier in the year that the starting rotation has been the Achilles heel for UCF just, and not, not in the fault of their own, you know, Colton Gordon got hurt, Hunter Patterson ran into some issues. And I think had those two both been healthy and at the top of their game, we would have got managed to go farther, but in the end, what happened happened. And, but now we are in a position where the slate is wiped almost clean. Hunter Patterson is in a really great position right now. And if we, and if UCF can get some arms in there to uh, support him, then I think, 
we can they can turn starting rotation into a very good strength, especially with all these great young pitchers that we've been having right now. And then speaking of young pitchers, David Litchfield. So David, my source tells me that David Litchfield is looking for to transfer to an SEC or an ACC school, and so which and so then the question becomes, okay. What, who's the next guy up for that? So uh, Colton Gordon told me uh, said that Zach Bennett was a pitcher that stuck out to him, and considering he also was get, was given some save opportunities, I think he could be, could very well be the next guy up when it comes to closing. But again, like we said before, just because these guys are in the transfer portal does not mean that they are automatically going to leave. So this is something that we'll definitely be keeping a pulse on as the summer as the summer turns into fall. All right, Bryson Turner. Thanks for the breakdown on the Olympics and baseball, man. Keeping an eye on that transfer portal, on the draft. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, my Twitter is at It's Bryson Turner, the B and T are capitalized. All right. All right, Bryson. Thank you so much. When we come back, uh, Drew is going to join me once again. We're going to answer some listener questions via Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Jeff and Drew back with you here. We're going to talk, uh, we're going to answer some of your questions via Twitter. UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter is where you want to send those questions. We've done this three weeks in a row, Drew, and I'm really proud of us. I just want to say that. It, it's it's a great thing to do. Keep up the good work. Yes. And thanks to those of you who were sending in questions. We set, we got some quick ones here. So uh, let's go ahead and, and we got um, get right to it. more people involved. More people involved. That's right. And of course, I mean, Lots of news to ask about, right? So Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter. Stat boy Drew on Twitter as well if you want to send us questions. And here we go. Uh, Our friend Corey Eskenazi, uh, who has been sending us questions every week. Corey, thank you. Thank you for your loyalty and your participation. We appreciate you. Uh, Outside of football and men's basketball, which sport figures to gain the most, which UCF sport figures to gain the most, through conference realignment. And again, this is assuming conference realignment happens, which again, Drew, you and I both don't think it's going to happen. Right. Um, well, but let's let's let's, let's, assume let's it does. Let's hop on the speculatron and and, uh, and Ooh, go like for that. a ride here. Let's say um all right, football, men's basketball, which sport figures to gain the most through conference realignment? Go. Oh, I'm gonna go with baseball. Okay. Why? Uh, you're you know, you ha- you're you're joining up with Texas programs that have all had a lot of success. And when you've got good teams, you work to be as good as those good teams, if not better. So I, I think it would be a step up and force the program to to find a way to to put out a better product. I mean, you're in Florida. You, you should be able to put out a good product. You know what I'm going to say. Women's basketball. Volleyball, baby. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Aside from the Pac-12, which is the – which owns college volleyball, essentially. Right with them are the Big Ten and the Big 12. All right? Um, Texas is a major power in volleyball. Oklahoma is a power in volleyball. So that becomes, you know, and even if those teams go away, you still have a lot of schools out there. Baylor has been very good at volleyball over the years. So uh, I think volleyball would get a huge boost being in the Big 12, you know, from both a recruiting perspective and a competition perspective. Um, Sports Bliss with Rob and Chris, our podcast compatriots. Uh, money aside, 
would UCF have an easier time, an easier or harder path to a national championship with a move to the Big Twelve? Oh, harder by far. You know, if, why do you say that? It goes, you know, in every, you know, you with the CFP expansion, well, you know, top six conference champions, mm-hmm. and then in all other sports, you know, conference championship gets you into, you know, the postseason, you know, win and move on. Uh, the Big Twelve, top to bottom, is a better conference. I mean, say what you want. It's a better conference. And of course, yeah, you want to be the best. You got to beat the best. But if you want a chance at a national championship, uh, you can backdoor your way by just winning your conference. I mean, UCF did it for many years in the Atlantic Sun. You know, you win a low major, you still get in the postseason. So I think as far as an easier path would be to stay in the American, but I don't think the program would evolve to become as good of a national contender in the American versus the Big 12. I'm assuming that they're thinking Texas and Oklahoma are gone. So I'm, I'm going to remain. I'm okay. Let's, let's go that. And I'm going to keep the same answer. All right. American will be an easier challenge because as, as you know, you take out Kansas, that seven versus the other seven of the American, not including Houston and not including Cincinnati and not including UCF. And, and you can even say Memphis in there as well. Uh, that was that bottom seven versus the remaining seven. Uh, no, um, the Big Twelve is a better conference. You know, you know what I would say. I would say it's. I would say with a, a, if you're comparing the American as it is now to a Big Twelve with Cincinnati or something like that, but without Texas and Oklahoma, I would actually say it's a draw. I don't we, think that the, we disagree on that one. We disagree on that one, but I, I, I would say, I would say it's a draw because you're playing, you're going to be playing a lot of teams that, <laughs> I, I mean, what, what's the cliche about the big 12, all offense, no defense, right? Well, I mean, it would have been perfect for a Josh Heupel team. I, <laughs> I mean, could you imagine by the way, if, if that happened and Josh the scoreboard Heupel, would break. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, Corey, uh, Corey Eskenazi is back with another question. Are you, are, are us UCF fans going to get our hearts broken with all this potential conference realignment? Absolutely. Talk? Corey, yes. That's Absolutely. Just, that's a given. Ladarius Brown, my, uh, one of my students from Full Sail. What's up, Ladarius? Uh, does UCF have to move to a Power 5 conference to contend for a national championship? No. No. Because if the 12 team league, if the 12 team playoff goes through, and that's, that's the golden goose. I think that everyone forgets that. The 12-team playoff is the thing that UCF needs to happen. It's not a move to another conference, okay? If you get the 12-team playoff, and especially if Eric Lopez always talks about criteria, if if the criteria is automatic berths for the top six conference champions, you're in. Take your shot, all right? Then you don't have to go anywhere. Now... Because people, and that's the frame of when you're talking about national championships. Now, if you're talking about television revenue, well, as we talked about in the first segment, what is the value of the teams in the Big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma that they can put on the schedule? It's not nearly as much as it is currently in the Big 12 with Texas and Oklahoma, right? So. How much more more is it than the American? I I mean, I don't think it's a lot. Do you? I mean, 
it's you know you're i think there would still be a step up but remember you know there was always a, this this instant not instability but there was always this kind of tension in the american of looking for that next opportunity well if the big 12 fizzles and and dies out it actually makes guess who american, becomes a power five league <laughs> well then they just becomes power four but that's neither here nor there but I, the, the truth is it's state it'll actually help stabilize the american because it's really gonna it's gonna clamp down on realignment because sec is gonna do their thing acc is gonna do their big 10 is gonna do their thing and then they're gonna be done there's not going to be movement at that point. There's going to be nowhere to move. Yeah. So I, it really depends on how the league handles losing, you know, those two schools. If they look to recruit and try to rebuild, then, you know, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, and insert fourth team here probably want to, you know, talk to each other quite a bit and see if they want to team up on it. But if it fizzles, stay home. Yeah. Sansa 520, honestly, what do you think it would take to join a bigger conference, and when do you see that happening? I don't. I don't. I don't. And by the way, bigger conference? Bigger in terms of what? Opportunity to win a national championship? It, with a 12-team playoff, you're already there. If you're talking about a bigger conference in terms of revenue, there is no opportunity. And... Let's be honest. And I the ACC is not calling. No, the ACC is not calling. The SEC sure isn't calling. So the smart thing for UCF would be to play the long game, stay in the American, see what happens with the Big Twelve in the future, and then see, and then see what, you, and then take your chances competition wise by winning the conference, being successful in all sports, and getting to the playoff. And then take your chances there. Right? You, you know, if you remember, before UCF got invited to the Big East, it was always proud members of Conference USA. Mm-hmm. Proud members of kind of a broken record. Well, proud members of the American. That's probably not going to change anytime soon. Yeah. So my, and, you know, maybe I'm setting my expectations low because like previous <laughs> question, you too, I don't huh? want my heart broken. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's like we said before, we've been there so many times with this. UCF was trying for... We're, remember, we're old. The, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> for the better part of 15 years to get to the Big East Conference. Oh, it's and then longer we finally than got into it, and the Big East ceased to be the Big East. I guess it, it started back in the late 90s Yeah, with, with Steve Sloan trying to push for the Big East, and it just went nowhere. And then... 2003 the big shift mm-hmm. and and UCF was was on a, a colossal dismantling of their football program at that time so to be invited as a football only member made absolutely no sense and they played themselves you know out of any argument that yeah. could be made and it's been catch up ever since yeah and we're finally caught up right well i mean we got we got to, we we got UCF to the to that part, and then we're in as like, we're in as good a spot right a now as broke we underneath ever and fell down. We're in as good a spot right now as we ever could have been, and the reason why you know that is look where South Florida is, right? They caught the breaks. They got into the Big East in two thousand and whatever. What was it? Two thousand five. 
2005. That was their first. They were in Conference USA prior to that. Correct. They got into Conference USA when we were still in Independent and then in the MAC. They got into the Big East when we got into Conference USA. Now we're both on an even playing field. We're this. We're everything reversed. I, I don't. I, I don't know where UCF would be otherwise. Not because. Uh, not well, because I, mean, I don't think that to... other schools wouldn't have. Wouldn't have seen. Or I, not because I don't think other. I'm sorry, uh, Drew. Not because I don't think other conferences wouldn't have seen the value in UCF. I just think that the entire situation would still be the same. Well, yeah, but you have a great speculative piece on what if UCF joined Conference USA in the mid-90s. Oh, yeah, that would have been fun. That would have been a blast. <laughs> you um, become like the power broker at that point. Yeah. Uh, speculation for UCF's future if Oklahoma and Texas lead the Big 12. That's from UCF Realist. Um, I'm going to be a realist. Uh, I don't expect anything. Yeah, I, I honestly don't either. I don't. I, sometimes, sometimes the smart move is to do nothing. I'm going to throw a wet blanket on that. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, Trace? Um, That's for you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, bottom line is there are a lot of parts that have to start moving before UCF's part can move at all. This is a giant traffic jam. And... I just I I don't see anything I don't see anything happening with this now. Conditions may change. This is why you got to. This is why I tell fans this all the time. You got to trust the administration. You got to trust Terry Mohajer, and you got to trust President Cartwright. They've been well briefed on all of this stuff. Oh, they they know everything that's going on. If, they know if everything. They know, it, they know more. And, and it comes. Back, I know this is a cliche, but I but I hear this. Um, the uh, you know those who know don't speak and those who speak don't know well, boy right? what's that make us <laughs> <laughs> like i said we're hopping on the speculatron uh we kind of know some things but um but yeah uh, i i just i think we got to sit back and wait i think this this could be a one giant rope-a-dope by texas and oklahoma to grab some headlines and you know, for for a week or two, and pressure and try the and TV ex- partners and ex- and extort ESPN and or Fox to give them a larger share of the pie at the expense of everyone else in that league. By the way, to get them onto a more even financial footing with schools in the SEC who are making fifty eight million dollars a year each of them from that TV contract. Texas and Oklahoma are making about forty to forty five. So, I mean, there you go. Numbers don't lie. Yeah. Numbers don't lie. Get at that Scrooge McDuck uh, meme where he's diving into the money bin and swimming in the coins. Um, That sounds painful. Jim Hathaway, what's the fastest land animal? (laughs) 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 And he he linked me to a a clip from the, the movie. I think it's the movie Airplane. Yeah, it's... Um, I told them it was a human riding in the Bloodhound LSR, which is the uh, um, which is the re- the record-setting car that they're tra- they're trying to build a car in England that can go a thousand miles an hour. It's powered by a jet engine and a rocket, which I think I, is totally- why just just why because you can 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 we for the same for the same reason that these guys at Texas and Oklahoma leaked this story today because my we can. That's why. 
<laughs> I just want the guy before he does his record setting drive to say, hold my beer before he starts his drive. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, thanks again to you, Drew, for coming on board. Thanks to Bryson Turner for uh, talking, <clears throat> excuse me, about um, the Olympics and baseball. Thanks to Eric for uh, producing that interview with Colton Gordon. Thanks to Colton. Congratulations on his uh, selection by the Houston Astros. Wish him the best of luck. Healthy recovery from Tommy John surgery and uh, and and the best in the future. Hope to catch up with him again uh, again one day. Make sure that you uh, follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, and of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com, where we are the home for UCF sports content on SB Nation. You can uh, check us out there at blackandgoldbanneret.com as always. We try to have something new for you up there. If you don't subscribe to this podcast, please do on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're an Android user. Uh, if you are not an Android, if you if you are not a uh, Spotify subscriber on Android, you can follow us via any one of your podcast preferred platforms. Just search for blackandgoldbanneret.com. If you are a subscriber on uh, to our podcast, we thank you so much. Please tell a friend, uh, and don't forget to leave us a rating. Uh, on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever your fine podcasts are uh, downloaded. Drew, thanks again. I'll talk to you soon, all right? Sounds good. Let's do it. And thank you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will catch you next week.